0: Hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are joining us, whether you're in person or online. And today is week three of our Christmas series, The Thrill of Hope. And every single week during this series, we are throwing a party because we believe that Jesus came to bring hope to the world and he needs to be celebrated. So if you're here on campus, you probably noticed the big ice skating rink outside, as well as some characters and different decorations, because today's party theme is Winter Wonderland. And so if you're worshiping from home, we actually could not cram or fit an ice skating rink into your Christmas experience box that was a little bit impossible but we did include some hot chocolate and a mug and so you are invited to join in the party with us and of course we've got tons of hot chocolate here for you guys as well make sure you take a mug with you also because we are celebrating jesus all this month as we do throughout the entire year but especially as we recognize his birth and so we're glad you're here oh if you're here in person if you would put your hands together welcome in our online family here today Awesome, and before we dive into the message, I just want to invite you guys to attend our Christmas Eve services, which are going to take place this Wednesday and Thursday on December the 23rd. We're going to have one service at 6.30 p.m. For those of you who can't make it on the 24th, and then we have three services on the 24th, 3.30, 5 o'clock, and 6.30 p.m., and we've got an awesome service planned for you guys. We hope that you will be part of this celebration of Jesus on Christmas Eve with us, and if you would, if you plan on attending in person, you can go online right now. You can use our First Church app and you can register for what service you plan on attending you don't have to register but that gives us an idea of who's going to be at what service so we can make sure we have social distancing set up and all that good stuff Uh, but also if you are not able to be here in person on the 24th we are going to stream our services at all three times so you can watch and worship with us from home and we invite you to do that if you're not able to actually be here in person but we can't wait to celebrate christmas eve with our church family well today is our winter wonderland theme and honestly we should have had that theme last Sunday because if you live in northeast Oklahoma, you know this past Sunday we had a huge snowfall, at least for this area, is a huge snowfall, and it was a lot of fun. I was here at church that morning, they were calling for a wintery mix, but we had no idea we, we were going to get that much snow. And I'll tell you what, everybody who was here, they were giddy, from the kids all the way up to our oldest church members. I mean everybody was just excited because we weren't expecting that much snow. And I I saw a ton of pictures on Facebook and Instagram of families going out and playing in the snow. Here's a picture of my family. We're in our backyard. We built a snowman. You guys didn't know that Frosty was a UK fan, but he is. He's a Kentucky fan, uh, even though I'm questioning whether I should be right now because we continue to lose. But in basketball, no, I still am. Even when they lose, I still go cats. I'm still there with them. But it's been rough to watch. But Frosty's a UK fan, and, of course, my family had a blast. We had a snowball fight, built a snowman, went sledding, all that good stuff. And hopefully your family was able to enjoy the snow last Sunday as well, but I hope that you didn't go too crazy, do too crazy of stuff in the snow, lose your mind like some of these people in these clips. Take a look. Hopefully, you had fun, but you you were safe while you were having fun. My family just couldn't wait last Sunday after we left church to go play in the snow. And so, Alex rode home with me, and Addie rode home with Allison. She stopped to get some lunch for us. And I told Alex, I was like, before we can go play in the snow, we got to eat lunch and we got to get warm clothes on. We got to get prepared to be out in the snow. And he just couldn't wait. I mean, the entire time we were there waiting on Allison and Addie to get home, he just kept saying, Is it time? Can I go? Can I go play? And it's like, no, buddy, got to wait. We got to eat lunch first. You got to get dressed to go play in the snow. He just kept asking. Asking and kept asking, and at one point I couldn't find him in the house. I hollered for him and he didn't answer. I thought he went on outside. I mean, I was kind of mad at him, but he didn't go outside. I found him. He was in our garage, and this is what he was doing: he was taking the snow off of my car and making snowballs. I mean, that's how excited he was to get out and play in the snow. I was like, "Buddy, what are you doing?" He said, "Daddy, I just couldn't wait any longer. I just couldn't wait." Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever said those words? "I just couldn't wait." Maybe you've had those words said to you. You know, life is full of waiting, isn't it? But waiting can be hard, especially when what you're waiting for is exciting, something better that's just around the corner. And I feel like there's a lot of waiting that goes on this time of year. Kids wait, adults wait, especially this time of year. Kids wait for Christmas Day to open up their gifts. Adults, well, we wait in lines at stores, and we wait in traffic, and we wait for packages to be delivered on time, and I know some of you guys are having that problem right now with packages getting here on time. I am. I ordered a gift for Allison on December the 11th, and it's still not here, and I'm really worried it's not going to be here by Christmas, but I'm waiting for that package to arrive. You know, we do a lot of waiting this time of year, but waiting isn't just part of this season. It's really part of every season in life. Life is full of seasons, periods of waiting. And waiting can be kind of hard. And sometimes what we wait for, sometimes the periods and seasons of waiting that we experience, they're a lot heavier, a lot more serious than waiting to open up gifts under a tree or waiting to go out and play in the snow. And even though right now this is called the most wonderful time of the year, some of you guys, if you're being honest... Your life isn't full of wonderful things. I know there's a lot of pain right now. I know there's a lot of fear right now. I know anxiety is high, depression is high. And that happens every Christmas season, but I think it's amplified in 2020 because of everything that we've been through. I mean, 2020 has been a rough year. And right now, even though it's the most wonderful time of the year, no amount of Christmas songs that you listen to Or lights that you see on houses can take away the emptiness, the loneliness, the pain, the anxiety, whatever that you're feeling right now. And here's the thing. We have an enemy, Satan, who tells us things will never get better. The way things are right now, that's the way they're always going to be. You're stuck. He wants you to believe that things will never get better that you're hopeless, that your situation is hopeless. He wants you to believe right now that your marriage, well, you can't find healing in it. You'll never reconcile. You'll never find what you need to find in marriage, that your marriage is beyond repair. That's what he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that how people see you right now in life, the reputation you have, that's the reputation you're always gonna have, that your identity is time-stamped in this moment He wants you to believe that your financial mistakes, that you can never overcome them. You're never going to be able to pay the bills or get out of debt or whatever, pay off those loans. Our enemy wants you to believe that your past will always haunt you, that you'll never be able to move beyond it. He wants you to believe that the addiction that you're struggling with right now, you will never be able to overcome it. He wants you to believe that things will never change that all the anxiety, all the fear, the loneliness, the depression, the discouragement, whatever it is that you're feeling right now, that it will always be there, that your situation is hopeless. But I'm here today to let you know what the Bible says. The Bible says that just isn't true. The Bible says our situation isn't hopeless. And Jesus coming to the earth proves just that. Because what we all need right now, the answer to all of those scenarios that I just mentioned can be summed up in one word, and it's the word hope. And the whole reason why Jesus came to the earth as a man was to bring us hope in the midst of our hopelessness. To let us know that where we are today is not where we always have to be. He came to bring us healing. He came to bring us help. He came to make us whole. He came to bring hope in the midst of our hopelessness. That's why he was born. That's why he came to this world. Listen to what Matthew chapter 12 says. It says that his name, Jesus' name, will be the hope of all the world. And when it says all the world, it means all the world. That is everyone, everywhere, and that includes you. Jesus came so that if you're feeling unsettled right now, if your life is full of fear right now, if your health is failing, if you've recently experienced some pain or heartache, you are not without hope. Because of Jesus, hope is never out of reach. See, hope isn't something that we create or we manufacture or we come up with on our own. No, hope isn't something that we create or manufacture. Hope is who we attach our lives to. And there's an Old Testament word that actually illustrates this point. The Old Testament word for hope, or one of the Old Testament words for hope, is the Hebrew word tikvah. If you guys would, say that with me. Tikvah on the count of three. One, two, three. Tikvah, good. Now you can call your family members and friends this afternoon and let them know you know some Hebrew. You can impress them, okay? But this word Hope, from the Old Testament, it's used in various different passages. One of those passages, Psalm chapter 9, where it says, God will never forget the needy. The hope, the tikva, of the afflicted will never perish. That word for hope in Hebrew literally means a line, a cord, or a cable. See, hope is our lifeline. It's our line to something greater than ourselves, or should I say someone greater than ourselves. Our hope is Jesus. And when we anchor our lives, when we attach our lives, we connect our lives to him. When we anchor our lives to him, we can withstand whatever storm comes our way. Because he is firm, he is secure, and when we attach our lives to him and we're connected to him, our lives can be firm and secure as well. Real and lasting hope isn't something that we create or come up with. It's what we attach our lives to, or should I say, who we attach our lives to. Let me put it like this. Hope isn't something we do. Hope is who we cling to. And so what that means is where we place our hope matters. And if you've been attaching your life to sources of hope that have been failing you, and been leaving you feeling empty, that haven't been delivering today you can attach your life to Jesus the eternal lasting source of hope and you can have the confidence of knowing that no matter the storm that's before you you can make it through it because your life is attached to him And today, we're going to look at two people in the Christmas story who attached their lives to Jesus, who attached their lives to the promises of God. And even though they had gone through some difficult times in life, they were able to still have hope in the midst of a hopeless world. And I think we can learn a lot from their example today. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. And we're going to look at two people in the Christmas narrative, the Christmas story, who honestly don't get a whole lot of attention. We don't talk about them a lot. I doubt if you have a figurine in your nativity set at home with these two people in it. I doubt if you have a Christmas decoration of them or an ornament of them. I doubt if you've heard too many Christmas songs and mentioned them. I doubt if you've ever been to a Christmas play or pageant where somebody has played their role in it. These two people, they don't get a whole lot of attention this season, but they're just as much as part of the Christmas story as the shepherds or the wise men. In fact, I think they have as much to say to us today through their example as some of the more classic people in the Christmas story that we look at. And their names, these two people, Simeon and Anna. Now you might be thinking, who? Simeon and Anna, who is that? Let me just ask, by show of hands, does anyone have a Simeon or an Anna figurine in their nativity set at home? Anybody? Anybody at all? Okay, I don't see one hand. If you're watching at home right now, put that in the hub if you have a Simeon or an Anna figurine because I want to find out where you got it from because I've been looking for them. I can't find them anywhere. You're probably thinking, who in the world are these people, Simeon and Anna? Well, you may not have heard of them, but they're very much part of the Christmas narrative. You see, if you're right now waiting for your situation to change, if you've been going through some hard times, if you've been struggling... You can identify with Simeon and Anna. They are right there with you. So Luke chapter 2, here's what's going on. Jesus is born in the town of Bethlehem. And the night that he's born, shepherds, they show up. They worship him because an angel told the shepherds about Jesus being born, right? And so Mary and Joseph, they celebrate the birth of God's son in a stable, and they place him in a manger. We know that part of the story, right? But 40 days pass, and after 40 days, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem wasn't that far from Bethlehem. And they take Jesus to Jerusalem for his baby dedication basically. Because the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law said that the firstborn son was to be taken to the temple and a sacrifice was to be honored on his behalf because the firstborn son belonged to God. So you had to offer a sacrifice to God for your firstborn son. Now this was a command that not everybody kept in this day and age, but Mary and Joseph, they are faithful to God. so they do this. They go to the temple in Jerusalem in order to have Jesus' baby dedication, basically. And they show up, and we find out that the typical offering that people gave for their firstborn son was an offering of a lamb. You sacrificed a lamb. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, if you were below the poverty line, the Bible says that you were allowed to offer a sacrifice of a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And we find out this is the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph make. They're dirt poor. They don't have any money. They probably could not even afford this sacrifice, but that's what they give. They are obedient to God. They do what God commands them to do. And in the midst of their obedience, as they're in the temple in Jerusalem, they meet this guy named Simeon. Let's read and see what happens. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So what Simeon here is waiting for is the promise of God to be fulfilled, the promise of a coming Messiah. Now here's the thing. This promise of a coming Messiah, it was hundreds of years old. The Jewish people, they've been waiting for a long time for this promise to be fulfilled. And their situation didn't seem to be improving. I mean, they were currently, the Jewish people, they were living under an oppressive government system, the Roman government. The Roman government was cruel to the Jews. The Romans were taxing the Jews into poverty. Not only that, the religious leadership in their day, well, they were corrupt, so there wasn't a lot of spiritual guidance taking place either. Beyond that, God hadn't sent a prophet to speak to the Jewish people in over 400 years. This period is known as the period of silence. Because God hadn't sent a prophet to publicly speak to the people over 400 years. Their situation was bad. And it didn't seem to be getting any better. It didn't seem to be improving. But in the midst of their waiting, waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled, the Holy Spirit reminds this man named Simeon that there's still a Messiah coming, not to lose hope. And Simeon, even though he's an old man, even though his health is probably failing, even though he probably lives in poverty himself, even though he's looking around and seeing his people oppressed in this moment, even though he is living in a very dark day, Simeon overflows with hope. Because Simeon, well, he believes when God makes a promise, that God keeps his promise, that God, no matter what, always keeps his promises. And so Simeon refused to allow for hard times to erode his hope. And we see this taking place as we read on in our passage. Because if you notice, the one phrase, that's or one word that is used to describe Simeon, which is really cool, is that Simeon was waiting. Now, I know that... When we use the word waiting, a lot of times what we think about is like setting on our hands or setting back and just hoping for things or wishing, I guess you should say, for things to change. That's what we think of when we think of waiting, just sitting back and wishing that things would change, that things would get better. Sometimes even as Christians, we we, we sit back and we say, okay, God, fix things, make things better for us. But that's not what this word waiting means when it says Simeon was waiting. This word waiting in Greek means active expectation and preparation. In other words, Simeon is waiting in this sense. He knows that God's promise is going to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has already told him that. He knows that God's promise of a coming Messiah is going to be fulfilled. So even though things don't look good, even though his situation looks bad, he knows that God's going to keep his word. And so he is eagerly expecting this Messiah, but not just that. He is preparing his life for this Messiah to come. And he's trying to get everybody else prepared for the Messiah to come. He isn't sitting back on his hands. He isn't just wishing that things will get better. He is preparing himself and preparing everyone else around him for the coming Messiah. And so let's read and see what happens. It says, Moved by the Spirit, he, Simeon, went into the temple courts... When the parents, this is Mary and Joseph here, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, Simeon believed God always keeps his promises, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now this is kind of an odd scene because Mary and Joseph, they show up with this baby, their firstborn son, and all of a sudden this strange man who they don't know, older gentleman, walks up to Mary and Joseph, grabs their child and starts to dance around in the temple courts saying, Sovereign Lord, now I can die, now I can die, now I can die. Can we say pepper spray? I mean, seriously, we would probably be freaked out, right, if this took place, and especially For Mary and Joseph, I mean, they're first-time parents. And we know how first-time parents are. I've done a lot of baby dedications here at First Church. And by the way, we have an awesome baby dedication program. If you haven't been a part of that, next time you have a kid, be a part of it. Because it's really an awesome thing. But I can tell the difference when I do a baby dedication, when I speak for that, of the first-time parents and those who aren't. And I'm not criticizing anybody. Because at one point, I was a first-time parent. And we were way more protective when it came to Alex, our firstborn, than our daughter Addie. Because you just learn things over time. I heard somebody say when time that, you know, when your firstborn child eats dirt, you call the doctor right away to find out if he or she's going to be okay. When your secondborn child eats dirt, well, then you just watch and observe and make sure that he or she is going to be okay. But when your third child eats dirt, you ask yourself, do I, need, do I still need to feed them lunch? And I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I know I'll be here all day. I know it's not a great joke, but I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it illustrates how our perspective when it comes to parenting changes over time. And Mary and Joseph, they're first-time parents. And so we would think that they might be a little bit freaked out when this older, strange gentleman comes and grabs their child and starts to dance around saying, now I can die, now I can die. (laughs) But Mary and Joseph aren't freaked out. No, instead, look at what the Bible says. It says the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him Then Simeon blessed them. It's as if Mary and Joseph needed this. It's as if Mary and Joseph needed the example of Simeon. They needed the hope in that moment that was overflowing from him. Because we have a tendency to romanticize Mary and Joseph as if they were just these perfect people. But Mary and Joseph had been through a whole lot. I mean, you think about it, their entire world had been rocked. When an angel appeared to both of them and said, Mary's going to be pregnant with God's son, everything changed. They were engaged to be married. They probably had plans for a future, and all of a sudden, everything now is going to change. And then it doesn't get easier from there. You think anybody in their culture is buying the virgin birth story? We wouldn't buy it. Nobody's buying that story. There are rumors spreading all around about Mary. And And the thing is, they'll probably have to live with those rumors. Jesus will have to live with those rumors all their lives. Not only that, when it comes time for Mary to give birth, they've got to go to Bethlehem, which is not the city where they currently live. They were from Nazareth. they got to go to a different city, a different town, and their firstborn is born in a stable or a barn somewhere where animals were kept. And then a little bit later... There's going to be a king that gets jealous of Jesus and ends up killing all the newborn babies everywhere, those who are two years and younger. And Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt? Their life has been turned upside down. And I bet in this moment, they were struggling. They were obedient, and they trusted God. But this was a lot for two people, a young couple like this, to handle, to process And in this moment, what they needed more than anything else is hope. They needed to know who to attach their lives to so they could survive whatever difficulty, whatever struggle, whatever storm they were facing in that moment. Mary and Joseph are poor. They're not able to offer a lamb as a sacrifice. Their future doesn't look bright. They're living under the same oppressive government that Simeon was living under. If they were going to do what God was calling them to do, they needed to make sure that their life was attached to the ultimate eternal source of hope. And so Simeon overflows with hope to them, and it's exactly what they needed. And they are encouraged. Their spirits are lifted because he radiated hope. And here's the thing. When our lives radiate hope, we renew and refresh the world around us. That's what we're called to do. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, God keeps his promises. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's why we're here and when we overflow with hope, when we radiate hope to those around us, we spur them on, we encourage them, we motivate them, we show them who to link their lives to, who to attach their lives to so that they can survive the storms that they might be facing in life. Simeon is a great example of a man who built his life on the promises of God, a man who attached his life to Jesus. And what's cool is, Mary and Joseph are able to experience the hope that he had firsthand because they were obedient to God. You see, why was Simeon in the temple that day? He was in the temple that day because the Holy Spirit prompted him to be there, told him to be there. Why were Mary and Joseph in the temple that day? The Holy Spirit didn't prompt them to be there. We don't read that in Scripture anywhere. Why were Mary and Joseph there? because they obeyed the command of God found in Scripture to go and dedicate their firstborn child. And it may have seemed like a minor command, a small command. I mean, they could have said, not everybody does that. I mean, we don't have to do it. We're not going to go to hell if we don't do it. I mean, come on. We're doing a whole lot for you here, God. I think if we skipped out on the baby dedication, we'll be okay. And don't laugh as if we don't do the same thing. Ah, We won't go to hell if we miss church just this one Sunday, right? It's not a big deal. You know, we'll go next week. It's fine. No big deal. We do the same stuff. But here's the thing. When you honor God with the small stuff, when you're obedient to God in the small stuff, he'll do big things in your life. Because no command of God is meaningless. There's a reason for it. Mary and Joseph were obedient to God even in this small little command. And God used a man named Simeon to breathe hope into their lives hope that they needed now Simeon wasn't the only person that Mary and Joseph met that day they also met someone else an older lady named Anna and let's read her part of the story so there was also a prophetess Anna the daughter of Phineel of the tribe of Asher she was very old by the way I was told never to call a woman old, but the Bible does that, so I guess it's okay. But anyway, we'll move on. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna basically joins Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and Simeon in this moment. And why was Anna there? Well, Anna wasn't there because she was prompted by the Spirit either. She was there because she lived there, the Bible says. See, Anna, she was a widow. Her husband had died after only eight years of marriage. And I'm sure Anna probably had all these great plans to grow old with her husband She thought she knew what her life was going to be like, but after eight short years of marriage, her husband dies. And if she was married as a young teenager, like most girls were in this day, she had been a widow for 60-plus years. And being a widow in this culture, it wasn't easy. Most widows scraped to get by. Some widows remarried because it was the only way that they could support themselves. And they were in abusive relationships just so that they could survive. Other widows chose a life of prostitution because it was the only way that they could make money. Widows had it rough in the first century world. But you know what Anna decides to do? Anna goes to the temple in Jerusalem and she dedicates her life to serving God. And the Bible says that she lived there day in and day out, praying and fasting and encouraging people with the promises of God. Anna was somebody who'd been through a lot of pain and experienced a lot of heartache. And she was living under the same oppressive government and dealing with the same darkness that everybody else was dealing with in her day. And yet, she overflowed with hope. And in this moment, when she hears about this child, as she listens to Simeon speak, she runs up and she wants to embrace him as well because Anna has learned If you want to have hope in the midst of a hopeless world, you've got to attach your life to the promises of God. So she clings to this baby, and then she turns around and tells everybody she can find about the Messiah, the one who has come, because she radiates hope to those around her. I think there are two things, two key truths that hit me hard as I read this passage. And the first one is this, don't overlook the older saints God places in your path. Don't overlook the older saints God places in your path. See, a lot of preachers will say that we need to invest in the next generation and I say that all the time, we do need to invest in the next generation. And we here at First Church, we make that one of our top priorities. We're all about doing whatever we possibly can to reach the next generation. And we've been doing that, and we're going to keep doing that. That's why you see a big ice skating rink outside our lobby today, because we believe in investing in the next generation. That's why we have such a strong next-gen ministry here. We believe in telling our children and our students about Jesus. That's one of our top priorities. But... Even though I preach that and I teach that, guys, I never want to be part of a church that doesn't have any older folks. You know why? Because seasons of waiting aren't an if, they're a when. And seasoned saints, they know how to survive a storm. They know what it's like to go through a storm and anchor their life to Jesus so that you can make it through it. And they have wisdom for us and guidance for us. Guys, I never want to be part of a church that doesn't have older adults in it. And if that word older offends you, I'm sorry. Remember, the Bible calls Anna older. It's okay, but I'll clean it up. I never want to be part of a church that doesn't have seasoned saints because I need their wisdom. I need their experience. And they can show us how to anchor our lives to Jesus in the midst of a storm. But there's another truth that I also take from this passage, and it's this. Don't miss what God is doing now. Because like I said, our tendency when it comes to times of waiting, our tendency is just to sit back and wish for things to get better or sit back and blame others or sit back and complain or sit back and say, God, fix this already. But in so doing, we miss what God wants to do now during this period of waiting. That wasn't Anna and Simeon. Anna and Simeon didn't sit back and wait. No. They were preparing themselves and preparing those around them for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And that's what we need to be doing as well. So if I have any advice for you today, it's this. Don't wait. Don't wait to serve God. Don't wait to love God. Love God now. Serve him now. Put your hope in him now. And if you do, he will start to work in your life now. And that's why I love this church, First Church. Because we're not a church that sits on our hands. This past year, during this global pandemic... We, like so many others across the globe, have been through so much. And we could have sat back and just said, okay, during this time of waiting, as we're waiting for everything to become normal again, we're just going to see what happens. But that's not what we did. We continued to unleash love. We continued to overflow with hope in the midst of this past crazy year. And, guys, I just want to thank you. Because in the very first video that I made, when we decided to announce that we were going to go online only for a season, for a period, because we didn't know what we needed to do exactly, I said, this is not a time for our church to lean back, but this is a time for our church to lean forward and do what God is calling us to do in this moment. And you guys responded to that. And so months later, we are reaching more people with the good news of Jesus Christ than ever before. Months later, we continue to support all of our missionaries around the globe, and we've even been able to give extra money to missionaries around the globe. Months later, we continue to unleash love on the 918 on Northeast Oklahoma and beyond. Even last night, we had baptisms take place right here in this building. We continue to have baptisms taking place. Lives are being changed because we're not a church that sat back and said, hey, we'll just wait and see what happens. We're a church that said, God, how can you use us during this period of waiting? And I think God has used us in incredible ways. And I asked our media team to put together a quick video of some of the ways that we unleashed love during the pandemic. Take a look at these clips. This is Amy Fitzner, superintendent of Owasso Public Schools. I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you. Hi, this is Scott, associate administrator with Bailey Medical Center. Uh, we just want to say thank you so much just for the love that you've shown us. Hi there, this is LaDonna Thompson. I would like to say thank you to everyone that came to my house and helped clean it up. Well, first This is Jennifer from Oxford Glen, and I just wanted to tell you guys thank you so much. Hey guys, it's Tracy Tucker. I was just wanting to thank you so much for sending all that food our way. Hey, this is Pastor Brian with John 316 Mission. Uh, Just calling to say thank you to First Church for your generous donation of the canned good. John's here with Tulsa Habitat Humanity. We really appreciate your efforts and your time spent. I know these walls will go to the need of a future homeowner. Hey, First Church, this is Zach Bryan here from Casas for Cristo. Thank you guys for sending your first students down to the Mexico. I love this church. (laughs) I am so honored and grateful to be part of this church. Because we're not a church that hits pause. Our mission remains unchanged, and we know that. Our methods may change, but our mission does, and how we accomplish the mission, we may have to make some tweaks. But our mission is the same. And in the midst of a global pandemic, we have continued to unleash hope, showing people who they can attach their lives to. That's why we're here. And I don't know what 2021 is going to hold. I have no idea. But I know one thing. When we continue to attach our lives to Jesus, follow him, He'll take us exactly where we need to go. This is our winter wonderland Sunday. And one of the worst snowstorms that I'd ever been a part of happened when I was just a little boy. We were living in Ashland, Kentucky, and the snow came quick. And I remember my mom was out with my brother and me. I'm not sure where my dad was, but he wasn't home either for some reason. And I remember we got to our house. We lived up on this hill, and so we couldn't get our car to get up the hill because the snow was so bad, it was so slick. So my mom decided to park at the bottom of the hill and for us to walk up to our house. So she got us out of the car, and she had to hold my brother, my younger brother, and she couldn't hold me, too. There's no way she could do it in the snow. And so she said, Chad, you're going to have to walk behind me. And I was scared. And I said, I can't do it. The snows you know, it's like up to my knees. I can't do it. She said, listen, I'm going to go ahead of you. You just hold on to me. I'm going to put my arm behind me. You just reach out to me. Hold on to my hand. Hold on to my arm. And just walk in my steps. Walk in the footprints that I make in the snow. And we'll get home together. That's what I did. I reached out and I grabbed hold of my mom's hand. And I followed in her steps all the way to our house. And I think that's exactly why Jesus came. It's an illustration of why he came. He saw us in the midst of our storm. He saw us in this broken world and he wanted to help us out and he was the only one that could so he said you just attach your life to me you hang on to me you cling to me and follow my steps and we'll get home together this Christmas hang on to Jesus because hope is there we just gotta hang on to him Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today. In this moment, we've had to open up your word and study it, and to learn from the example of Simeon and Anna. I know they don't get a whole lot of attention this time of year for some reason. We've kind of skipped over their story in the Christmas narrative. But they have so much to say to us today. May we find hope today by learning from their example. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.